Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Free Culture Radio. Free Culture Radio neither promotes the use of any drugs nor condemns people for being involved in drugs. To the extent that drug use presents problems for individuals or society, those problems are made worse and more intractable when people who use drugs are treated as others and ignored, stigmatized, and even brutalized. The United Nations Commission on Narcotic Drugs, as noted on its website, was established by the Economic and Social Council to assist the ECOSOC in supervising the application of the International Drug Control Treaties. In 1991, the General Assembly expanded the mandate of the CND to enable it to function as the governing body of the UNODC. They note further that the CND meets annually when it considers and adopts a range of decisions and resolutions. Intercessional meetings of the CND are regularly convened to provide policy guidance to UNODC. Towards the end of each year, the CND meets at a reconvened session to consider budgetary and administrative matters as the governing body of the United Nations drug program. The CND meets several days in an annual session, several more meetings during the year. The CND is based in Vienna, Austria, along with the UN Office on Drugs and Crime. Beautiful city, Vienna. Oh, glittering, lovely. I can't, I can't blame them for enjoying it, you know. The main plenary sessions are webcast live, and they're only webcast live. There's no archive of past meetings. The UN doesn't make those videos available anywhere. It's not on web TV. It's not available through the UN Information Service, not available through their YouTube channel or on a Facebook page. They webcast them live and they're done. The Commission on Narcotic Drugs is a UN body. It assists in supervising the application of international treaties. They're the governing body of the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime and of the United Nations Drug Program. And yet... They don't keep a real record of what goes on at their meetings. That opacity is the main reason I catch as much of these meetings as I can during their live webcasts. An official body of the UN, and yet they hide their work in shadows? I just think that's wrong. Now, normally, I would air portions of those meetings on a show like this. I know. Official speeches from a UN meeting? (laughs) Yawn, right? But, you know, that's the thing. Why don't they just make these videos of their meetings public? And what are they scared of? That's why I broadcast audio from these things over the years. Because the CND doesn't want you to hear what they're discussing. I can't go along with stuff like that. Secret meetings of public bodies? That's garbage. I won't stand for it. You shouldn't stand for it. Don't worry. We're not going to hear any of the speeches that people made at the CND's most recent meeting. Instead, we're going to hear a speech that the CND refused to allow delegates to hear. Friday, December 10th was International Human Rights Day. The CND, which was meeting that day, was scheduled to hear a report from Dr. Elena Steinert, chair of the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention. Dr. Steinert's presentation was blocked at the last minute blocked. There's no explanation of why they made that decision, and they don't have to give any explanation. CND's decision was made behind closed doors, and you know, diplomats don't like to make waves. So that was that. The Human Rights Council, fortunately, doesn't operate that way. Videos of their proceedings are really easy to find online. 
Dr. Steinert presented her report to the UN Human Rights Council back on July 2nd. Well, here then is Dr. Steinert delivering the report that the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs refused to listen to. Madam President, Excellencies, distinguished delegates, and representatives of civil society, it is my honor to address the Human Rights Council and to present the study on arbitrary detention relating to drug policies prepared by the Working Group on Arbitrary Detention at the request of the Council. The study aims to at ensuring that the absolute prohibition of arbitrary detention as required by international law is included as part of an effective criminal justice response to drug-related crimes and that such a response also encompasses legal guarantees and due process safeguards. It also highlights the broad scope of issues at stake their interconnected nature, and the need to incorporate human rights as a part of the response of all actors from different sectors. This study was prepared following broad consultative process, which included the collection of questionnaire responses, consultations with the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, and the International Narcotics Control Board, as well as a virtual expert consultation. A briefing on the study was also given at the 63rd session of the Commission on Narcotic Drugs. The working group thanks all the stakeholders for their contributions prepared and provided to the group in a challenging setting of the global pandemic. Madam President, in this study, the working group notes with concern the increasing instances of arbitrary detention as a consequence of drug control laws and policies and finds that people who use drugs are particularly at risk of arbitrary detention. A related issue is the criminalisation of possessing paraphernalia associated with drug use enacted in several jurisdictions. This not only has negative effect and impact on an effective realisation of such individuals' right to health, but also contributes significantly to overcrowding in many detention facilities across the globe. The working group would like to highlight that imprisonment for drug-related offences should be a last resort and in principle should only be used for very serious crimes. Madam President, the so-called war on drugs has also resulted in a large increase in detention and imprisonment for drug-related offences. Disproportionate actions by some states to apply criminalisation provisions of drug control treaties or to incorporate these into their domestic legislations have frequently resulted in widespread human rights violations leading to arbitrary deprivation of liberty. In this study, the working group identifies several human rights violations in the so-called war on drugs context, including interrogating suspects under the influence of drugs and subjecting persons to testing without their consent or a judicial warrant. The overuse of and prolonged pretrial detention lasting in some instances for months and even years and physical and psychological violence towards detainees, including inter alia, the withholding of substitution therapy, from drug-dependent suspects. Another serious concern is the identified wide range of violations of fair trial standards for persons accused of drug-related crimes. Furthermore, disproportionate sentences for drug-related offences, often accompanied by the ban on parole or amnesty for those convicted for drug-related offences in some jurisdictions, also contribute to prison overcrowding and call into question the compliance with international standards requiring respect for dignity of persons deprived of their liberty. The working group also recalls that imposition of the death penalty for drug-related offences 
and the misuse of drug control to silence human rights defenders, journalists, political opponents is incompatible with international law. The working group therefore recommends that states decriminalize the use, possession, acquisition or cultivation of drugs for personal use, including the possession of associated paraphernalia, as well as release persons detained only for drug use or possession for personal use, review their convictions and expunge their criminal records. The working group recommends that states prioritize non-custodial alternatives to prisons for those accused or convicted of minor drug-related offences. Review procedures relating to detention, arrest, search, testing, pretrial detention, trial and sentencing in order to address situations enabling arbitrary deprivation of liberty and other human rights violations. The working group recommends that states ensure proportionate sentencing for drug-related offences through amending relevant legislation and sentencing guidelines. Madam President, the working group has also observed that criminalisation of drug use facilitates the development of the criminal justice system against drug users in a discriminatory way with law enforcement agencies often targeting members of vulnerable and marginalised groups such as minorities, people of African descent, indigenous people, women, persons with disabilities, persons with AIDS, and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex persons. Homeless persons, sex workers, migrants, juveniles, the unemployed and ex-convicts are equally thus vulnerable. In this regard, the working group recommends that states address how the justice process deals with specific groups that may be the object of discrimination in order to stop their targeting and the disproportionate drug control enforcement efforts. Madam President, let me now turn to the subject of healthcare for drug users in detention, which amount to some 20% of the persons deprived of their liberty worldwide. The working group notes with concern the insufficient availability of harm reduction services and drug treatment for drug-dependent persons in detention. Only 56 states provide opioid substitution therapy in prisons, and when provided, it may be available only to limited number of inmates. In several states, such therapy is prohibited for the society at large. The working group also views that the practice of confining people who use or who are suspected of using drugs against their will in state-run or in private compulsory drug treatment centres can give rise to arbitrary deprivation of liberty. Similarly, courts should not coerce defendants with a choice between an imprisonment or drug treatment. The drug treatment must lie solely in the hands of specifically trained health professionals and to this end, the practice of drug courts should cease. The working group underscores the importance of making drug treatment voluntary based on an informed consent and therefore recommends prompt closing of all compulsory drug detention centres and making available voluntary, evidence-informed and rights-based health and social services in the community as an alternative. Moratoriums on further admissions to such compulsory drug treatment centres should be adopted. Finally, Madam President, Excellencies, distinguished delegates and representatives of civil society. 
the working group would like to highlight the important contribution that the civil society, including associations of drug users, can and do play in the design, implementation, monitoring and evaluation of drug policies. It therefore calls on the state to uphold the role of all these stakeholders by giving them a meaningful voice and enabling them to work without threat of criminalization or other penalties. The working group welcomes the continued engagement with all relevant actors on this important topic and wishes to especially highlight the importance of collaborative approach to be adopted by the states, the UN agencies, regional and national organisations and all other stakeholders in furthering the implementation of the recommendations made in the study. The working group stands ready to support and further such collaborations. I thank you for your attention and look forward to your comments and contributions. That was Dr. Alina Steinert, chair of the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention, delivering her statement on a study on arbitrary detention relating to drug policies, which was prepared by the Working Group on Arbitrary Detention at the request of the Human Rights Council. That report is what the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs was too scared to have presented at its recent meeting. We'll have more in a moment. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McFadden. The city of New York recently became the first jurisdiction in the United States to officially authorize the operation of supervised consumption sites. These common-sense public health interventions have been in operation in cities around the world for some two decades. They're proven effective public health interventions. There have been some in operation in U.S. cities illegally, underground, for years now as well. Lives are being saved. Public safety is being improved. I'm one of the many journalists who are trying currently to get an interview with Sam Rivera, the director of the New York nonprofit On Point NYC, which runs those two sites. I'll bring you some of that audio when I finally get my chance. To find out more about safe consumption sites, I spoke with an expert on public health and harm reduction who happens to live in my home city of Portland. Hi, I'm Haven Wheelock. I run the Drug User Health Services Program at Outside In in Portland, Oregon. I mean, when I read the news this morning, I cried. Um, I know many, many, many of the tireless, amazing advocates that worked on this over decades, and it's really a life-saving intervention that is coming our way. Um, I think this is an opportunity for all of us to really look at how to best save lives, and overdose prevention sites are one key tool that's worked internationally to help keep people alive in what is really a crushing overdose crisis in our country. I'm very, very, very excited. Now, do you think that city of Portland should follow suit? And and what would that mean? I think all cities need to follow suit. I think, um, I think in general, like we know looking at international data from over 30 years that overdose prevention sites reduce HIV, hepatitis C, overdose death, reduce crime, provide humanity and dignity to people who are using substances. And all jurisdictions, including Portland, really should have spaces like this for people to come, to get their needs met, to be treated with kindness, and to heal. 
how do people follow the work that you do and that Outside In does on social media? And uh, do you have a website? Yeah, Outside In's got a website. It's outsidein.org where all of our work is listed as well as um, having an Instagram and a Facebook page. Any closing thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I just, I think that people like acknowledging that we are in a crisis of overdose deaths. Over 100,000 people died of drug overdose in the last year. It's worse than we've ever seen it. Oregon's overdose death rate has is above the national average and increase over the last year. And it's really time for us to come together and do something different. And we're all looking to New York to model what comes next. Again, folks, we've been speaking with Haven Wheelock, Syringe Services Coordinator at Outside In, a harm reduction activist, Master of Public Health from the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins. Haven, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Doug. That was Haven Wheelock from Outside In. I was speaking recently with another friend, Sean Shelley. He's a researcher, harm reduction advocate, and the co-founder and chair of the South African Network of People Who Use Drugs. In fact, earlier this evening, I, I finished writing an article for one of the, the local uh, newspapers. And, um, and, and the last two lines are, change occurs when we see beyond the drugs and treat people who use drugs as people. The term people who use drugs can be abbreviated to a single word, people. Yeah. And that's 100% true. Um, because the behaviors that we've been pathologizing and saying are so bizarre are not actually that bizarre. When you're sitting uh, homeless, on the side of the road, uh, and you've got an abscess in your leg, the only thing that's going to relieve you some, from that pain is heroin. Uh, and, and even if you have to inject that through a septic as, abscess, you're going to do that because it's the only thing that will take away some of that pain. And look, the fact is that people describe heroin sometimes as lying in the arms of your mother and love at the same time. They never describe methadone like that. They never describe fentanyl like that, actually, either. But, but for a lot of people, they need the, the comfort and the analgesic, the emotional analgesic that these drugs provide. I'm not saying everybody's like that, but some people do. And, and I'm not going to deny them that, that's for sure. I'll enable them to, to continue finding that comfort, whatever it takes. What, um, how do people follow the work that you're doing? What's your, uh, do you have a website? Um, do you have, what are you, what's your social media handles? All that stuff. Uh, I, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, S-H-E-L-L-Y, all one word. Um, and that's my Twitter one. And uh, I, I'll, I'll put up, um, you know, some of my, my stuff in the near future. I've got a site that's busy being designed at the moment. Uh, but otherwise, just Google me and I'm all over the place. Um, and I must just say that, that I stand on the, on the shoulders of giants. Um, I, I was saying the other day that I don't think I've had an original thought. The only original thing that I've done is maybe string some other thoughts together or maybe bring a cross-disciplinary point of view. But, but you know, Stanton Peel irritates me intensely because, because every time I think I found something new, he's already written about it. Carl Hart's pretty much the same. You know, Mark Lewis and I have worked together for ages and, and uh, you know, I'll come to Mark with a great new idea and he's already thought of it. Uh, you know, Ethan Nailman on the policy side, um, you know, uh, the original harm reduction people, Pat O'Hare, uh, the the, the former cop, uh, Neil Woods, Julian Buchanan, 
Um, I'm, I'm missing out a lot of people there. Andrew Tatarski, for example, as well. The, these are, are, are people who are deep thinkers. They've, they've thought about it all before. Bruce Alexander and, and, and Siegel and even, even guys like, like Becker, the, the sociologist, uh, Howie Becker. Fantastic work, you know, and, and I stand on, the, on these guys' shoulders. And, um, and I find that, that in this field, there are more decent people than in any other field I've ever, ever worked in or been in, you know. Uh, the mensch factor, as, as Ethan says, is huge. And um, I'm really grateful to, to all the people and people like you, you know, your website is fantastic. Uh, um, I, I use it as a resource regularly. So it's, it's for me, a great privilege to work in this field, to work with the people I work with, because I don't think that there would be much use for me uh, outside of this, this field. I think that, um, that maybe I would have made a lot of enemies in other, other areas, but uh, people have been very kind and gracious to me. And, and uh, I've got, uh, my proudest achievement is having a team of people that have worked with me for about a, a, a decade, some of them, and uh, still tolerate me and put up with me. So I'm very privileged, and, and thank you for this opportunity as well. That was Sean Shelley, harm reduction advocate and co-founder and chair of the South African Network of People Who Use Drugs. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs. We heard a presentation that they were too scared to listen to. Well, here's another presentation that the CND didn't get to hear this year. Supposedly, this one wasn't presented because of a technical glitch. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it, how technical glitches often happen to people when they try to speak truth to power? Well, no technical glitches here. This is Ann Fordham. She's the executive director of the International Drug Policy Consortium. This statement is delivered on behalf of the International Drug Policy Consortium, Harm Reduction International, and the International Network of People Who Use Drugs on the occasion of the reconvened 64th session of the Commission on Narcotic Drugs. Today, the 10th of December, is International Human Rights Day. Unfortunately, the Commission on Narcotic Drugs has nothing to celebrate. In recent years, support for human rights has become a mainstay of international drug policy documents. In the 2016 UNGAS outcome document, the 2019 ministerial declaration and many CND resolutions, all member states regularly commit to respect, protect and promote human rights. The International Narcotics Control Board has repeatedly stated that drug control must comply with human rights obligations. And through the UN Common Position on Drugs, under UNODC's stewardship, all UN entities have pledged to support policies that put human rights at the centre. Despite these commitments, repressive drug policies continue to fuel widespread and systemic rights violations, including the death penalty for drug offences, extrajudicial killings, mass incarceration, and the systemic denial of harm reduction, and countless acts of police brutality and violence. This year's International Human Rights Day focuses on equality and non-discrimination. Drug bodies should be deeply compelled by this theme. As the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights wrote in her recent report on racial justice, the discriminatory application of criminal law must be tackled at every stage, 
including by reforming drug policies with, with discriminatory outcomes. Yet, even in yesterday's session, we were shocked to hear objections to the inclusion of LGBTQI plus populations in UNODC reporting. Last June, the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention published a watershed study on arbitrary detention and drug policies. International law establishes an absolute prohibition on the arbitrary deprivation of liberty that applies to all member states. This study documents the appalling extent to which this prohibition is breached because of drug laws. Because the study also provides a series of positive country examples as well as constructive recommendations and the working group has always stood ready to dialogue and cooperate with member states. In light of this, we deeply regret that the chair of the working group on arbitrary detention, who had been invited to present their findings today at the CND, was blocked from doing so at the last moment. This study was requested by the Human Rights Council in a resolution adopted by consensus, which also mandated the working group to bring it to the attention of the CND. The decision to disinvite the working group places Vienna in discordance with the rest of the UN system. The move to silence a human rights mandate precisely on International Human Rights Day sends a disturbing message that human rights expertise is not welcome in Vienna and that the Commission on Narcotic Drugs prefers to turn a blind eye to human rights violations. This decision is unprecedented and deeply concerning. The CND has made repeated commitments on welcoming contributions by other UN entities to the work of the CND most recently in the 2019 Ministerial Declaration. And for several years now, UN human rights bodies have rightly addressed CND meetings without issue. We urge member states to ensure that the chair of the Working Group on Arbitrary Detention is invited again to the upcoming regular session of the CND next March. The involvement of human rights bodies and experts needs to be welcomed and proactively encouraged in all CND meetings. Otherwise, the Commission will risk sliding into an increasingly isolated and irrelevant position within the United Nations system. Thank you for your attention. That was Ann Fordham, Executive Director of the International Drug Policy Consortium. She was delivering a statement on behalf of the IDPC, the Harm Reduction International, and the International Network of People Who Use Drugs. That statement was supposed to be made before the recent reconvened session of the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. And that's it. Thank you for joining us. You have been listening to Free Culture Radio. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. I want to thank my guests, Haven Wheelock from Outside In and Sean Shelley from the South African Network of People Who Use Drugs. A big thank you to everyone out there fighting for civil rights, human rights, and social justice. And thanks especially to you, dear listener, for your support. You make it all worth it. Free Culture Radio is a volunteer production for community radio and syndicated via the Pacifica Foundation Radio Network's Audioport service. 
Free Culture Radio is also available as a podcast or a direct download. Find links at the website kboo.fm slash freeculture. Theme music for Free Culture Radio was composed and performed by Tom Nickel and Four Dimensional Nightmare. Free Culture Radio is on Facebook at facebook.com slash kboofreecultureradio. Please give it a like. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Doug McVeigh. We'll be back in a month to continue our examination of drugs, drug cultures, and the influence of drugs on society. Thanks again for listening. This is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long! <laughs>